congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, often when we greet one another, the greeting can become nothing more than a formality. I, I have to admit, in my own life, that hasn't been the case much over the last um, you know, number of months, because a lot of times people ask me, how are you? And uh, I'm glad to be able to say I'm fine and make it a little bit more formal and, and not so, uh, so much something that, uh, that people have to dig and drill and, and get deeper into weeds about. But a lot of times it can be very much a formality. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And we just go on. Now, fine can mean a lot of different things. Fine can mean, well, I'm fine in that I'm healthy, but I won't get beyond that. Or it could be that I'm fine. Because despite everything, if I have to look at it as a whole, things are, are, are pretty much okay if I'm balancing things out. But, but there are times when you hear people say, when you ask them that, they might say, and you might even get you know, taught by that because you're so used to people saying, well, I'm fine, how are you? They'll say they're blessed. Or you know people, I know people, who when you ask them that, they say, well, I'm doing better than I deserve. And that, there's something remarkable about hearing that in our day and age. Remarkable, I, probably in any day and age as far as that goes, when you think about how sin is in the world. Because in our world, it is so easy to find ourselves consumed in our quest to have what's coming to us. I probably mentioned this before, maybe if, you, if you've seen that going through towns, um, big towns, big cities. I see this every time I go to, to, um, to Chicago. They love putting their billboards up on the interstate. Huge billboards. And I would dare say that 35%, maybe half of those billboards, are billboards where attorneys are advertising themselves. Well, if you can, if you can advertise on a billboard like that, you must be raking it in anyway. But, but there's billboards everywhere. Have you been hurt? Have some, has somebody done you wrong? Come to me. There's one that just sticks in my mind. Dial 222-2222. They've got even numbers so that you can remember it easily. And call them. So that you can get what you deserve. So that you can get what's coming to you. And you might even become a, you might even hit it rich. You might become a multi-millionaire because of some wrong that another person has done to you. But spiritually speaking, what would happen to us? If we received what we had coming to us? What if God were to deal with us according to what our sins deserve. That would sure make a different in our, difference in our attitudes, wouldn't it? If we thought about that, if we pondered that a moment. In a world that's always asking, what do I have coming to me? It would seem to be one of the simple portions of the Christian confession. I believe there's forgiveness of sin. But either in our sinful pride or in our sinful despair, we may not have the spiritual vision to embrace that confession like we should. 
there may be forgiveness, but is it so personal? You know, like the catechism puts it, my sins aren't held against me. There may be forgiveness, but can there be forgiveness for me? But Psalm 103 is, is precious to those who, who in Christ see that God's ways are gracious as He removes our transgression, as He supplies His people with benefits that are never to be forgotten, that are far more than can be told, uh, that satisfy us with good things, including the righteousness of Christ Himself, filling our lives with a renewed hope that is associated with an eagle. An eagle's vigor. An eagle's freedom. As you see it, and we can, not, not all of us can see eagles. We can see eagles around here. You see them, and you see them soaring, and you see them strong, and, and you see them vigorous. And there's something renewing about that. Well, there's that renewal in the blessings and benefits of the Lord when we're focused on the benefits that we have, which are gracious, that are undeserved. This morning we dwell on God's gracious ways for us, for our consolation and for our challenge. And we find His gracious ways in Christ's atonement and what He takes from us, and then also in His righteousness which He gives to us. So first of all, we look at God's gracious ways and how they're to be found in the atonement of Christ, what He takes away from us. Psalmist makes a beautiful statement that consoles the heart of those who know they need the pardon of God. Such a beautiful statement that it causes praise to occur and has an impact on that person's life as they march forward in the walk to which they've been called in the Lord. He doesn't deal with us, verse 10, according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Bringing out the same idea twice to emphasize the point. Now when you hear that beautiful statement, you could draw the conclusion, though, that even though the Bible will say here in this passage that, that God is also a very just God, and He deals with the, the oppressed, uh, which is also a relief to know that God makes everything right in the end. But when you hear that statement that says He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor our, nor our iniquities does He repay, then you, there's a there's a natural desire temptation to draw the conclusion that well God must be unjust then God won't punish people even though they deserve it even though the passage had, had just said that you know the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed so either I don't have to worry uh, because no matter what I do God doesn't care Maybe I do have to worry. Because if God is unjust that way, then I can't trust Him. Because if He's not just, you can't trust such a person. If He's unjust. To come to that kind of conclusion would be, though, to miss the psalmist's point. The psalmist is not trying to teach us that we might as well sin so grace can abound in our lives. Uh, this is, after all, the God of the covenant God of grace who's speaking to us, who in His grace has established a relationship with us. 
that is based on his electing and gracious love for a people that he's called to himself in Jesus Christ, ultimately. What the psalmist seeks to teach to the reader who is counseled to bless the Lord with everything that they have is that while we know ourselves to be sinners by act as well as by nature, as the Catechism puts it, God is in His grace, in His wisdom, in His righteousness, has established a means, legitimately so, by which He may deal with us so He doesn't have to treat us as our sins deserve. And we come to see that, how that can be from a New Testament perspective in the person of Jesus Christ. The sacrifices of the Old Testament days were pointing to that substitutionary atonement which only Jesus could provide and, and would provide that would take our sin away. Jesus Christ is in the fullness of time, gives to us the ultimate justification of verse 10 in our passage. God does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquity. What, what a statement like that is designed to do for us, then, is not to make us all the more rebellious. I mean, you, can't, you can't justify that from this psalm because the psalm starts out by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. That's the exact opposite of rebellion. No, it, it, it's, what it, it's meant to promote is a grateful, holistic, humble approach to God because of this, this blessed, beneficial perspective that's come. And you and I both know what the temptation is for us to do in life if you take this to brass tacks and practicality. The temptation for you and me is to live like God doesn't treat us like that. The temptation for you and me is to live as if God does treat us as our sins deserve, and we will live accordingly then. Because any time that we sin, we're acting like that. We want to take that world's approach that says, what do I have coming to me rather than what I have already in Christ? And we sin in all kinds of ways, like God is treating us like our sins deserve. We want to take the world's approach about grumbling about everything. Or to live without a drop of, of, of gratitude in our hearts, because we just don't think there, there's any reason for that. To live proudly, as if God never promised to take care of us. We can live like He's never taken care of the greatest problem of all that we've ever had, our sin, and promise to graciously give us all things besides. It's not hard to live like that. And so we do what we're not supposed to do, and we forget, we forget His benefits. We've been told, forget not all His benefits. And we do. And we forget about grace, and, and we don't live graciously. 
And this gets back to what I was saying earlier, where I got, you know, got a little bit carried away in the early part of the service, you know, where we want to treat others poorly because however they might have treated us, and it may be that they treated us poorly, we're, we're going to treat them poorly because, because what doesn't supersede in my life is the fact that God has treated me well. We treat others poorly because we really don't believe that God has treated us well. That's what we do when we sin against other people. The, the superseding, the prevalence of what God has done for us has been lost. It's been forgotten, at least for that moment. At the same time, and on the flip side, the regret of our sins can overwhelm us. You know, there can be sinful pride, but it can also be sinful despair. A, a sorrow that, that goes over the top. We wonder how it's possible that God could, could bring pardon to my life. He might bring pardon to other people's lives, but how is it possible that He would not treat me as my sins deserve? The personal element that's here in this psalm, or in this uh, answer that we get in the catechism, right? He'll never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Now, there are consequences for our actions. We, we realize that. They, they carry with them their own struggles and heartaches. When we think about things that we've done in the past that we can't undo and the, the consequences that we can't undo, uh, we don't like that. You know, you slam somebody's hand with a hammer and that hand is going to continue to hurt. Now, you may be sorry that you hit that person, but that bone might be broken, that welt might be big. And that's going to hurt for a while. But when we make the confession as Christians that there is forgiveness, We're not just confessing that there's forgiveness from God for the sake of what Christ has done. It's what we heard in the piano interlude. It's not so much that Jesus died, but that He died for me. That there is such a forgiveness for me. Because the Christian confession is a personal confession. It's not just a general confession. Well, there's forgiveness out there for somebody, but not necessarily for me. There's this conviction, there's this proclamation. God has forgiven me. We may dread it when people hold things against us. And maybe you've had that happen in your life. Where people have held something against you, and you don't like it. And you can't, you know, you, you, you can't control that always from happening. I've, you know, I've seen it over the years. I just, I just always remember, you know, some people holding things against people their entire life. It's not reflected of the God who remembers their sins no more. But it's, it's more dreadful. It's more dreadful. If you and I have to live life with the idea that God is always 
holding our sins against us and treating us as our sins deserve. That's a terrible way to live. Now that's not to say that God doesn't treat people as their sins deserve or reward people according to their iniquities. Our passage reminds us, after all, that again, He is there is justice for all who are oppressed. Because as long as people don't find their rest in the atoning work of Christ, that's how God in His justice is going to treat us in our sin. That's right. Because forgiveness is only found in Christ. But we must make the confession, not just that there's forgiveness, but there's forgiveness for me. That no matter what I've done, the atonement of Christ is greater than the sin that I've committed. And no matter how small or large or many, the sin that I commit can find its forgiveness in the atoning work of Christ in Christ alone. In our despair, we come away thinking in our regret that when we've done what is wrong and, and that the wrong that we've done is too great for God to forgive. It's affected and hurt too many people. It's affected my life too extensively. It's sullied my name too deeply. God could never forgive me. He'll treat me as my sins deserve and there is no escaping that. Can't get rid of it. I can't take it back. But we're reminded, though, are we not, of the Apostle Paul in in First Timothy, one thirteen, among other places. If, if there was somebody who knew what it was to be a sinner, certainly the Apostle Paul was one who thought of himself that way. And and it's it's interesting because we always think of the Apostle Paul. I often think about him in such wondrous ways, in, in such a blessed way, and yet he always remembered his former ways. He says in verse 13 of that chapter, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to God be the praise. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. There's, there is escape when we hear Christ calling us to find rest in Him. We come to Him and confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Gospel, of course, is not to be abused. To abuse that truth is not to believe this truth or understand what it means to know God's gracious ways. Those who truly know God's forgiveness strive their entire lives against their sin and their sinfulness. And practically speaking, that means, of course, in part, that when you're looking at the people around you and if you're thinking about how you are going to deal with people, you remember the benefits of God's forgiveness as you do that. We remember the forgiveness of sin that is ours. 
we believe that it's not only for others, but for us, that a forgiveness of sin is ours found in the atonement of Christ. And as we do that, when we keep that confessional perspective, my friends, it'll help us in those times of life when things are difficult and we may be wondering if God is treating us as our sins deserve. Because sometimes you're tempted to do that too. Where our experience needs to be viewed through the gracious Word of God that lights the way for us. So that we can see that even when things are tough for us, even when we're going through a rough stretch of various kinds, those tough things are not happening to us because we're devoid of God's grace. We're to be renewed in those times to know that for the sake of God's covenant mercies in Christ, He hasn't forgotten you or forsaken you. And He has not and He will not treat you as your sins deserve for the sake of Christ. When we're called not to forget all the Lord's benefits, we certainly as Christians realize that the gracious ways of God go farther than our forgiveness, though. Were it only the forgiveness of our our sins that we would enjoy, we'd still not be able to fully understand why He treats us well. When He treats us as only Christ deserves. That's what He does. When you look at a psalm like this, He treats us like Only Christ deserves. But He does that because Christ's righteousness is accounted to us. He doesn't just take our sin away, but He gives us Christ's righteousness. And if that wasn't so, then God would still be treating us better than we deserve. The benefits that are are not to be forgotten, His forgiveness and His healing and His redemption and His satisfaction with good things and His renewal and His righteousness and His justice and His mercy... His graciousness and His patience and His steadfast love, all of that would never be ours unless we possess by God's grace the righteousness of Christ unto our salvation. Rightly why the Catechism speaks not only in what we might call negative terms of what is taken away for us by God through Christ's atonement, through the forgiveness of sins, but also what is granted to us positively by God in Christ's righteousness. Because we need both, don't we? To be atoned, but also to be declared justified, to be declared right before God. And only Christ can do that for us. And that's why we we confess that we're justified by His blood. Not not in any other way except to understand that we might be declared right with God solely by the righteousness of Christ alone. Because nothing can free me from the judgment to come besides that. No matter who we are, we will always find ourselves imperfect at the judgment. Left to ourselves, we would be condemned by God. Waiting for eternal death to be the final word that we hear from God on judgment day. We'd be without God and without hope in the world. But it's because there is no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus that I am no longer having to fear the judgment. Christ has accomplished what I haven't. And without that freedom, you and I can't live in the joy of the Lord today. Or with a yearning for the day of Christ. Why wouldn't you want to do that? We'd have no reason to live as we're called to live in gratitude that we're no longer condemned. 
You know, if my faith is in Christ and I still have to wait until Judgment Day to know if I've been justified based on me, then what Christ has done for me or supposedly has done for me is for nothing. No matter how much or how little I rest on myself for the judgment that's to come, I find no rest in me. I'm always struggling against my sin. I'm always sinning. I'm always imperfect on this side of glory. It's not just somebody else, but it's me. I can't rest my justification and my lack of condemnation on how good my life's been. That's not how it works. I have to rest in Christ. I have to rest in God's mercy. Otherwise, the psalmist would say, Bless me, O my soul, for what I've done. Forget not all your own benefits. No, I bless the Lord for what He's done in Christ, and I forget not all His benefits. Now, Garth, here again, we shouldn't play games with justification. Those who truly know the gift that has been given them are going to cherish that gift. Just as those who have been forgiven much will love much, so also those who are justified love much. Those who not only know that there is justification, but believe that it's theirs are those who will strive for righteousness, even though it's a struggle. And they'll regret the wrong they've done, not just because they've been caught or because of consequences, because they hate the wrong they do. Apostle Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death when I want to do right, evil's close at hand. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He'll be my deliverer. He'll make all things new and good in his time, including me. Because God began a good work in me and he'll see it to completion unto the day of Christ. Only I'll, I'll, I'll never confess my own justification and no Christian ever will because there's no freedom there. There's no comfort there. There's no truth to be found there. There's no conviction there. You cannot rest there. But there's justification to be found, just, just like there's forgiveness to be found. They just aren't found in me or, or you or, or any mere human. No, 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 no need to despair, though, because God provides both. God takes away my sin in Christ and God grants me the righteousness of Christ. And so it's not just the fact that God takes away sin in Christ and grants the righteousness of Christ, as true as that is. But that's not where we're supposed to stop when we're making our confession. What we're supposed to confess is that this truth is also true for me. I believe this is true for me. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve he deserves my praise for what He has taken from me and what He has lavishly given to me. Well, may I never forget these benefits and all those that flow from these basic gifts of God's gracious way. That's why we sing at the end, don't we? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. May I not forget this. So I always Praise Him for them. Be consoled in them. Profess them to the world. Live a godly life in the hope that for the sake of Jesus Christ, I'll never be condemned at the tribunal of God and I will never be treated 
as my sins deserve. Because that's the good news of the gospel. That you and I need. That we need to believe. And it's in that gospel that we need to live our lives. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the forgiveness of sins that we can confess, not only that it's true in general, but when we can make that confession about ourselves. So we can live before you, we can live before other people, believing, convicted, that while other people might deal with us in a, in a way that we didn't deserve, we might say, you never do that. You never treat us as our sins deserve. May that prevail in our lives, Father, so that we might praise you and we might look at others in a different way than the world does and always is looking for what it has coming to it. But if we think about what we really have coming to us, oh, how we have to be thankful that what we deserve isn't given when we've known the forgiveness of Christ. And may that make all the difference in the way we praise you, in the way we live before other people. But people can look at us and say there's something different about them. They're not like the world that, that just is always looking for what they have coming to them. They've already received they're all in all in Christ. May we show that forth every day, Lord, in our praise and our walk before men. We'd ask that you'd hear us in Christ's name. Amen. 430 of the blue hymnals are song of